want some of this, get some of this. It is the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. And it's not only back, folks. It's back with a bang. We're talking mixed martial arts edition. Fresh off a wild weekend. Bellator, UFC on ESPN1. Cain Velasquez getting sent to the deep, dark depths. People getting kicked in the stick. We got it all for you. We'll also recap the news to come this week. Look, I feel good. I look good. I even smell good. I am ready for this show. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. Oh, yeah. BC, your boy, he's back. Uh, hey, remind you, you know, you like this show a little bit. You, you grow, it's growing on you. It's like, like fungus. It just keeps coming back. Why don't you spread it forward? Spread that thing, actually. Get it on over to Apple Podcasts. Hey, wherever you choose to consume fine audio. I'm not telling you where to listen to this show. I'm just telling you when, how, why. Do it. Spread the word. Five stars. Let's go. And let's go with this broadcast, bros. I got a co-host. He's big. He's large. He's in charge. Number 65 in your scorebook, but number one in your hearts in the MMA world. He's CBS Sports editor, writer, FIU alum, Brandon Wise. BC, we have so much to talk about today, but I think we need to start with the fact that I just watched you house a Girl Scout cookie and a soda before we started this show because you needed to get your energy levels up, and apparently the best way to do that was to just dump a bag of sugar in your mouth. (laughs) Dude, I am back from a uh, 10-day exodus in L.A. where, uh, you know, here's the deal. You, You have plans. To eat well, I had salads the first three days, right? I'm like, I will not eat beef every meal. I will not eat beef every meal. I will not have steak again. I will not have steak on my salad. I will not have steak and eggs. Like, you're trying to stop yourself from doing what your natural instincts are. By day four, dude, I was a friggin' mess. So, yeah, not really on the health kick at the moment. Didn't you tell me you had Taco Bell for, like, three straight days? Uh, I I banged. I banged hard on that, on that, on the, uh, on the old bell. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Not much worked for me, uh, health-wise in that regard, but, uh, I'm back, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm ready to pod. Um, you need a theme song, don't you? You need, like, entrance music. You got any ideas? I do? Yeah, you got any ideas? What do you got for me? Oh, man. When I throw I... to you, when I bring you in, you know, we gotta have something, right? I mean, you gotta bring the noise, I think, right? I don't think I have that on this, uh, on this, on this board. I can, I can get <laughs> it, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You, know, you want a little karate, we were... a little karate kid? You probably would have had to see the movie at least once yeah, all the time. That's true. The through it and it also that that's not me, and you know that's not me. Stop that crap! Stop it! All right, all right. Hey, I'm I'm offering that's to you. That's that's more of who you are. You're right. You know, you told me offline. You said, look. You gotta step up your game on this, uh, soundboard for this MMA show. You know, the boxing podcast we do here on State of Combat, I got like 13 pages of drops. The wrestling one's a mess, it's overflowing. We need to get deeper. We need to find more drops that work. Not every drop works. Some of them work very well though. I could be fat, I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. That is true. My dick works. I've seen that man with, with his children. That, it, it worked a few times. That is, there's no question about that. Um, uh, be wise, uh, before we talk MMA, before we, uh, hear from our friends and sponsors, uh, be, what's going on in your life here? Are you fired up as an MMA fan? You're doing good? I'm doing good, man. It's, it's unbearably hot outside and it's February. I was telling you guys earlier, I, Dude, I'm sorry. I know you're upset right now because you're in the cold weather again, but it's like 85 here right now. I can't walk outside without sweating. That's not fun for me. 
You should have saw me on uh, Wednesday of last week, pouring rain, oddly enough, in Beverly Hills. I leave my hotel. I'm wearing at 42-degree weather, shorts, T-shirt, and shoes with no socks. Every single person walking their dog was in full-on winter parka with the scarf and the winter hat giving me creeper looks. Like, like You're a crazy person. Like, That's why. Why would, you know, are you going to expose yourself? Because if you're going to do it, just do it now. We'll call the police. We'll get it over with. I was like, nope, not not, not bringing that to the table here. But, uh, yeah, people are weird. You're weird right now. It's February and you're complaining about the heat. I got snow and ice outside. I snow blowed this morning. That was fun. So, yeah. That's life, you know? Well, I mean, I'm going to Montreal in two week, two or three weeks now, and I'm going to have, like, 17 layers. I'm going to look like Sanka in Cool Runnings just walking yes. around in my jacket. <laughs> Great reference. Yes. Yes. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to talk MMA in a second, but first, let's hear from some people we really like. Let's hear from our friends. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. And we're back, and we are ready to talk cage fighting, B-Wise. We always have to look back before we can go forward, and this was a loaded weekend of fights. Really? Good weekend to be a fan. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. It was all MMA all the time. Did it, did it, did it fulfill your expectations, or did it leave you thinking we have too many dates on the calendar to fill? I was gonna say, did you feel like you felt fulfilled? On, on Sunday night when we got through the end of the UFC card, because looking back at it, Saturday and Friday, and even a, a, a lot, a large part of Sunday, I was just kind of like, man, these fights could have been so much better. Like, I just felt like everybody top to bottom was extremely tentative for some reason, and it showed in every fight, maybe save for, uh, Sergey Karatanov kicking, getting kicked in the stick by Matt Mitchell. <laughs> he got <laughs> him right in the bag of nards. Wow. Can we just not talk about anything else but that Friday night? Bellator 215 main event, Mohegan Sun. Wow. For everything that MVP Daily gave us in terms of stinking out the joint. And by the way, shout out to my good friend, Moro Ronaldo, friend of the program, Bellator announcer. I ran into him. At the airport Sunday morning at, I don't know, 4.30 a.m., I was getting off the red eye from L.A. He was about to get on one. Wow, we just both commiserated at how bad that fight turned out. But I was like, Moro, at least it wasn't Friday night when the first strike, somebody got kicked in the Johnson. That was the end of it. Wow, imagine going through a whole training camp. You're like, I'm back. I'm going to bounce back from that defeat. I'm ready. And then somebody just mule kicks you right in the damn hole. And that's the end of your night, Brandon Wise. Well, Sergey was coming off of the knockout win over Roy Nelson, 
So he was feeling really good coming into this fight. Matt Mitrione, on the other hand, didn't he? He lost to uh, Bader. He lost he, every oh, he lost to Bader. Bader yeah. yeah, he was coming back from the loss against Bader. He thought he had a chance to like get back into the title picture, and then, yep, first kick straight between the legs, Look, looking I, for the inside leg kick. I laughed at that because that's me. I'm weird. I mean, remember America's Funniest Home Videos? You remember Prime, America's Funniest Home Videos, like late 80s where it was like appointment viewing. They're doing like American Idol ratings. Like it's just like the entire world is watching Bob Saget. The thing that made that show work, not Bob Saget's weird uh voiceovers, people getting hit in the nuts, right? Like dad setting up the the T-ball stand and son just drives the line drive right to the to – the, you cannot not love that, right? You can't not love that, Wise. It's it's automatic. So to see that in a fight in like the first ten seconds, uh, it's it's just funny. It really is. It's it's painful. Did he not have a protective cup on? That's what I was thinking. It's like the way that he fell and the way that he was holding himself when he was getting medical attention made it seem like he went in there with no cup, which is weird because isn't that one of the things that the the Medical staff checks for before you enter the octagon, like or the cage. Don't they got to make sure that you, you have to knock on? Yeah, not not protection. two times on the uh, twice on the pipe. If the answer is no, is that what he? <laughs> he and the sad thing is after this, he got hospitalized, and he was hospitalized for like two days with a hemorrhoid. Like, dude, uh, he had the worst weekend. Forget Moro at four a.m. in the airport complaining about a lack of action. That guy had the worst weekend. Sergey Karatanov. Wow. He I mean, that's sitting. just it's it's. He, uh, yeah. He was sitting cage side for uh Czech Congo against um what's his name? I'm it's escaping me right now. Uh Czech Congo against Vitaly Minikov. But yeah, that guy's weekend, man. I, like how do you feel in that fight like you said before in that moment you're like, "All right, I'm back. This feels good. I'm I'm back in my in my element." And then, "Oh no, I'm down and I can't move." It's yeah. just physically shut down his body. Like, like I'm sure false starting at the line of the 100 meters in the Olympics after four years of training for one moment must be pretty bad. But seriously, you put in like four or five months of a training camp, you're paying all these sparring partners, you're paying all this time, and then you go in there and you have that happen. That can't that can't be good. Can't be good for the fans. Uh, did you come out of here thinking, hey, Bellator, can we go back to having one good card rather than two uh, decent to underwhelming cards and back-to-back nights in the same city or – should we stop complaining about that? I mean, like, I feel like we could have accomplished Friday and Saturday night in one night, right? Well, it depends on what they're giving us, right? Because talks today, Scott Coker was on Ariel Hawani's show, and he's talking about that they're going to start up a featherweight Grand Prix now. 16 the, men! With 16 entries, and he wants to do either all of the first round in one card or split it over two days like this card was where you put eight fights together over those two days. I mean, if that's the way you're doing it, then sure, because you're getting something done and you're progressing towards something. But the way this was set up just seemed odd from the jump, because why is Matt Mitrione a main event? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, this is like uh, one of those weird Bellator cards in like Italy with Alessio Sakara in the co-main every week, then I, then you can do what you want. But yeah, this as a Paramount Network DAZN co you know, co-branded one just didn't seem to make a lot of a se- sense. And then in the end, we don't even get the sloppy 40-year-old double brawl between the two heavyweights. We get nothing. A uh, couple things you can take from this card. Of course, Austin Vanderford, a.k.a. Mr. Paige Van Zant, uh looked really damn good in his Bellator debut. Well-tatted, well-muscular, come out in a 175-pound catchweight bout and destroys Cody Jones late in round one, arm triangle choke. Uh Level of competition is what it is, but uh, I'll watch Mr. PVZ again. 
I just want to know if he's the one who asked for the 175 catch weight or if Cody Jones was because why wouldn't you just put him at welterweight and just see what he is because that's the division he's going to be able to compete in, right? In theory, in theory, I don't, I don't know the story behind that. Did somebody miss weight? Did they blow weight? I wasn't that dialed in to the weigh-in Thursday for Bellator 215. Gonna be honest with you. Yeah. But then your boy, uh, Matt Kimball too, man. Mike Kimball, get it right, alright, first of all. Sorry. Waterbury, Connecticut's own. By the way, shout out to the great Chuck Mindenhall of MMA Fighting in the Ringer who had a really nice feature on Kimball coming in about really how hard life can be in Waterbury, Connecticut. I know you don't think of that wise as one of them tougher places to rise up but i grew up in the shadows of waterbury connecticut you make it out of there you made it somewhere this guy looked really bright obviously it's not over but tell me why is there a curse right now on bellator homegrown star prospects james gallagher sent to the deep dark depths aaron pico's soul removed twice over mike kimball first round submission via triangle choke and he looked good. That's the problem. He landed a giant strike. Would you see that slam? He almost broke yeah. John Duma's uh, brainstem, basically, on that pile driver, uh, Death Valley driver there. But, you know, shout out to Duma getting that, that choke and uh, finishing him off there. It's tough. We want Bellator to to develop a run of Michael Chandler's, right? We don't want them to just be the second rate when people get old from UFC. They come here. But it's not like they're matching these guys crazy tough, but these guys are losing. Is that just MMA-wise? Yeah, I mean, it's so weird, though, just because we've seen UFC's prospects when they get their chances in, in the octagon to show that, showcase themselves. They don't seem to have the same kind of issues that Bellator prospects do. I want to I wanna know if it's because there's just a talent disparity there and it's not as vast in Bellator. But at the same time, Bellator seems to feed <laughs> these either one-off fighters or celebrities, guys that are like 0-4 or 0-5 in their MMA careers, and they get wins that way. I I don't know. I want to I say that Kimball, Pico, and Gallagher are just getting tougher competition than you would normally expect because you, Bellator wants to see it and wants to see it fast if they have it. But yeah, man, it's confusing just because – like you said, they had a lot of a lot of promise and a lot of hope in in Kimball, and I don't know. He has time to develop it, but it's not going to be there immediately. He's going to have to take probably another year or two before he gets up to that like quote unquote star potential. And I mean, we saw on Saturday Valerie Lareda, she had another chance to make a start, like a, another debut splash appearance, and she looked really good. No, no. When you say really good, you mean like. Really good or like really good? No comment. Oh wow! Just like I'm not. You're going such down, a jerk. I'm not going down this road. I'm not playing that. Well, look, we might as well put Bellator two fifteen behind us. Bantamweight Eduardo Dantes getting a unanimous decision over Toby Misech. Uh, not much movement on there. Obviously, two sixteen was the card. Took place in the same arena in Uncasville, Connecticut on Saturday night. Mohegan Sun MVP Daily on the top. You mentioned it to open that main card. The zone exclusive here, Valerie Lareda. Now, here's the thing. Bellator not known for great women's divisions, right? Yes, Alima Lay McFarlane is becoming a thing. She's becoming now somebody we need to watch. She's a, she's a, uh, when she fights in Hawaii, it's a big darn deal. Yeah, they got some wash names like Valerie Letourneau, but if anybody enjoys fighting as much as Valerie Lareda apparently does, wise, holy crap. Pro debut here, correct? Pro debut? Yes. And mixed martial arts pro debut. How old is she? You got that in front of you? 
20. I mean, you know, good looking, uh, a woman, 20, women's flyweight. She gets the first round TKO over Colby Fletcher. God bless Colby, the dream catcher Fletcher. That's about all I'll say about that. Uh, but then Valerie Loretta acted wise. She gets the, she gets the TKO in under three minutes. She acted like she won a combination of the Super Bowl, um, accepted the valedictorian of her own high school graduation and possibly won an Academy Award at the same time. And then a gold medal on top of it. What the heck was up with that speech? Not here to clown her. She impressed me. She's got spunk. She may have a little bit of it in the it factor department. But this went on and on and on. She's crying. She's shouting out every person who ever has ever helped her. Like, you just beat Eminem's sister from the movie 8 Mile. Like, you didn't. Like, this was not like, I mean, you're going to have to put water on me. You got to put out this fire right here. Yeah, I I think we do because, I mean, yeah, it was a little over the top. But, hey, we never get those kind of, like, feelings or emotions from UFC fighters after they win. You know, we don't – you don't see that from somebody after they win a belt. You don't see that after, like, a crazy upset knockout. We also don't see pro debuts televised unless it's CM Punk, right? That's true. Maybe that's what it is. But I liked it. I mean, she's a 20-year-old kid, man. Let her have her fun. Let her enjoy that moment because you never get that again. And to have it on TV like that and to be giving up, to be given a platform where you can give that kind of recognition to people that you feel have helped you get to this point. I'm here for it. I, I thought it was great. That's the kind of moment where if you're trying to capture an audience and capture an average fan, you're going to get people's attention with that. I, think. I agree with that part. But when you say you're here for it, do you mean are you here for it or are you here for it? <laughs> Anyway, um, so here's the thing. Yeah, ultimately, I like what Loretta's bringing to the table. It is, it is watch me type of enthusiasm, watch me type of, uh, just, look, she's a work in progress, pro debut, really young. All that we mentioned seems to get it though from like a marketing standpoint, seems to have some real charisma there. Got hit a little bit, did like a, some kind of wild strike to knock Fletcher down. And then I got to give her credit, jumped all over her with a hammer fist, was very accurate, was very quick. Made it happen. Hey, Bellator is a lot of things, right? It's the circus land of the bazaar when they need to in the Data 500 category. It's certainly the retirement home at the bottom of the cocoon pool for many people, especially many people on this card. It also can be a place where people who you know, are only in there because they're fun to watch but might not necessarily be great fighters or deserve spots in main cards do get chances to live. She's somebody I want to see moving forward. Shout out to her. Hey, what an awful fight between Yaroslav Amosov and uh, Eric Silva making his Bellator debut. That guy was supposed to be something with the UFC. He was supposed to be a guy to infiltrate the Mexican-American audience. It didn't work out. He's still young, but he took a boring UD3 loss. Do we need to see him again? Get Eric Silva off of my TV. That's all I can say. That fight. Oh, my God. That fight could not end fast enough for me because – we had so much other fun stuff to look forward to, and that just brought everything to a screeching halt. Because Amosov, to his credit, he's a really smart dude, and he's a point fighter. He's he's on a winning streak because of that. But he's not going out there to knock anybody out. He's out there to grind, to do the John Fitch style, just lay on you and point you to death. Eric Silva couldn't. He had no game plan once that happened. So get get him out of here. I need less um, John Silva. Eric John Silva. I need less. Uh, um, John Fitch in my life, I need even less people trying to be like John Fitch, please. I'm not impressed by your performance. 
Oh, all right. We we had plenty of heavyweights on this card. Plenty of slop going on. Czech Congo at forty three. Here's the deal with Czech Congo. All right. Ted, correct me if I'm wrong here. Is he the most ripped, washed athlete ever? Is he the most fit, washed guy? Because normally when guys get this washy, you get some love handles. You get a, a loss in the definition. This guy's still going after it in the weight room. And, you know, certainly he's found some some life at the bottom of the cocoon pool. But this is what? Eight wins in a row? And I don't think he deserved this one, to be really honest with you. But let's talk for a second. Eight wins in a row for Czech Congo. And before that loss to King Moa in 2015 with Bellator, he had run off a string of four out of five to open his Bellator career. He's gotten – he's fights often, and more often than not, he wins – now he wants a Bellator heavyweight title opportunity against Ryan Bader, producing what you called one of the saddest Twitter back and forth <laughs> exchanges we've ever seen. But let's talk about this sad fight. Dude, he didn't beat unbeaten former Bellator heavyweight champion Vitaly Minikoff, and you know it wise. It was a, they tried, but it was two guys who really couldn't put much offense together. Why did he win this? Uh, man, you ask me that, like, I have an idea. Dude, that was the weirdest decision I've ever heard. 29-27 on one of the judges' scorecards was like, what did you see? Because Vitali controlled that fight. Vitali was pushing the pace the whole time. He was keeping check up against the cage. He took him down two or three times successfully and was outlanding him. Check put together a couple of random like explosive combinations that I guess caught the judges' attention because I was like, Okay, that's interesting, but it doesn't, it wasn't seeming to bother Vitali all that much. Vitali, for the most part, was standing in front of him when Czech was missing. Like, I mean, if you graded just the final 30 seconds of each round, maybe Czech wins that, but yeah, but I wasn't even that impressed with, with Minikoff. I didn't love this fight. He's 34. We know he was unbeaten coming in, but we also know he gave, basically gave away the Bellator Heavyweight Championship from just not fighting. Had a nice run he put together in Russia, of course, but I wanted to really see something out of him. And even though I thought he won this fight, I thought he did enough to control it. He didn't do a, a ton to impress me or really, you know, put it on Czech Congo. So it was one of those where really neither one deserved to win. Somehow the judges gave it to Congo. And somehow now he's talking trash and calling out Ryan Bader. And I guess when you look at his resume, like I mentioned, he's beat almost everybody they've put in front of him at Bellator. The problem is they really don't have that Bellator heavyweight. They, they really don't have heavyweights in Bellator, but he's done it. I guess you give him a title shot, but what the heck is Ryan Bader, Czech Congo going to look like? So he was, so Ryan Bader congratulated him for his win, but Czech Congo after the fight was also saying like, oh, Ryan Bader didn't deserve that title, all that stuff. And Bader's are, like, I am on Team Bader here because Bader's like, I was just in a heavyweight tournament where I won all three and you weren't a participant. What do you want to do about that? Like, <laughs> I get, I, I get Czech saying like, I just beat the quote unquote lineal heavyweight champion at Bellator, but come on, dude. Like, there's a reason they didn't invite you to that heavyweight tournament. Wow. And it's because you won't, you won't sell. You're not like a top eight. I don't even think, would you say he's a top eight Bellator fighter right now? Or Bellator heavyweight, I should say. Well, dude, he's 12 and 2 with Bellator, and his best wins are what? Alexander Volkov? Like a boring decision? Um, I don't know. Javi Ayala? LeVar Johnson? I got a Javi Ayala. I mean, so this was a rematch, by the way, which I forgot about coming in, that Czech Congo had lost to Vitaly Minikov by decision for the title back in 2014. 
That was the last fight we saw of Minikov and Bellator, but it's like, man. No, you don't really have a great case. You're 12 and 2 in Bellator, but you beat a ton of guys named Ole Thompson and Tony Johnson and, yeah. It's not gonna look good, but are you, can you give him any credit for being the most ripped, washed athlete we've ever seen? No, because that's Herschel Walker. Yes. Was he ever really no. washed though? Was he washed? He fought in Strike Force at like 50. Yeah, but he wasn't, I guess, washed compared to his, his fighting prime, cause that's the only time we saw him. But yeah, I get your point. When you do 5,000 sit-ups and 35,000 push-ups a day and never go to the gym once, and yeah, you, you're gonna end up pretty ripped. But, oh man, Bader Congo. Yeah, yeah, Bader, no, I was gonna say Bader is going to take his lunch, just, he, all, he, all he has to do is take Congo to the ground, and he's going to dominate. But I like, challenge I, Bader, because this is a new Bader a little bit right now. I If he just does lay and pray and basically does a Fitch, old-school Bader win here, I'll be really disappointed. I challenge him to knock Congo out, to channel the same Darth Bader who just ran through that old man tournament to become the first Bellator champ champ. Can he do it, Wise? Does the new Ryan Bader have enough box to box the balls off of Congo and finish him? I could see it. I... I just don't – I think he's too smart for that. I think he's smart enough to stay out of the way of check and his his power because the size difference will be a little bit of an impact on check size just because he's got a little bit more reach. But, I, I, yeah, I mean, if it's – like we've been talking about heavyweight with Bader and how it shows his, he's got more power than we thought he might, I would like to see it, but I just think he's too smart that he's going to just – he knows check – is going to just go in there, going for the the kill shots, and he's going to just protect and lay and pray. Uh, we saw another heavyweight fight, and uh, oh man, bro, can you can you call this a heavyweight fight? This know. was like this two is... drunk guys at the bar upset at each other, laying on each other. I don't need Roy Nelson anymore. I really don't need it anymore. Did you see that backstage interview he did with? Uh, was it Jen Brown? Oh my yeah. god. Uh, Mirko Krokop at age 44. Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah. although his body looked like, uh, you know, never served his USADA suspension that saw him forced to leave the UFC, just kept fighting and risen. Uh, comes in ripped. I'll give Mirko Krokop this credit. He's washed, bro. Okay. He never stopped trying to win. Okay. This was gross. It was sloppy. We didn't need it. But is there any positives here? Mirko, if Bellator's going to keep putting on old washed heavyweights, I'd see Mirko Krokop a hundred times over than I'd see Roy Nelson anymore. Oh, yes. Did you see, by the way, that apparently Nelson accused Krokop of greasing and that that was part of, like, why he wasn't able to wrestle him? Yes. So here's the deal. Um, Nelson hates Krokop. And Nelson, didn't he lose... To Krokop in uh, UFC, let me get this right. Let me call this up and get I, this right. I think that sounds right because I I want to say they were talking about this as a rematch on Saturday. So do you remember this fight was supposed to happen? Um, what like last year? Yeah, last May. It was supposed to be at 200 uh, Bellator 200. Yes, and I talked to Roy in the lead up to that, and he was just throwing Krokop under the bus. Now, Roy did – okay, it was Roy that stopped Krokop at UFC 137 in 2011. Roy got the knockout. But uh, he was just, like, ripping Krokop so openly for his drug use and how he probably shouldn't be back in the sport and all that stuff. So, I, I, I you know, 
I could see this. Roy kind of does this after fights. He's kind of hangs on to things and calls out of his, his opponents. Uh, didn't he do that to Mitch Rion too? Called Mitch Rion dirty after the loss yeah. in the, in the, yeah, whatever. Look, I, at this point with Roy Nelson, he's ha- just hanging on to his chin and somebody's going to send him and it's going to be not fun to watch. I thought Krokop was going to do it instead of went the distance, but it was so gross though, just because they weren't even trying to throw. They were both holding on by the end of the first round, and it was just like, oh, no, we're in here for another 10 minutes of them not throwing hard strikes because Roy was just holding on to Krokop's neck, seemingly trying to set up a Muay Thai knees. But I don't know if he could get his knee that high. Um, yeah, it was just, oh, man. Roy's gut is getting bigger, too, so that's the other it's thing. bad. His hair is very homeless and gray. Um <laughs> Here's the deal for everything we just said that's negative about it. First of all, when Bellator puts on these legendary heavyweight sloppy fights, should they be one round? Maybe like a seven minute one round? Ooh, seven minutes. Yeah, how about just one round? And you know, then we go to the scorecard. That's or, fine. Oh no, 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 no. Why don't we? You can do three rounds, but you just make it three minutes. Old guy rules. Vitor Belfort would be down with that. So here's what I'm saying with everything we just said about it. Hey, Bellator. You still want to make Fedor versus Krokop rematch? I'm here for that. Yes. You? Yes. 1,000% yes. I don't need anything else, though. I don't need Krokop against Czech Congo, Roy Nelson, Matt Mitrione, anyone else in that category, okay? I think he's only got one. He either, either this was his last fight of his Bellator contract or he only has one more left, by the way. So. All right. I didn't think that we were going to be this sour on the two Bellator cards, but when you really put them together and start breaking them down, one guy got kicked in the nuts. A prospect got finished in the first round. Um, some chick wouldn't stop crying. There's two sloppy heavyweight fights. I mean, Eric Silva stunk. What? Yeah, I guess there's not a lot to good say about it. Now we'll get into the main event, the fight we I mean, really cared about. MVP, Paul Daly, quarterfinals, Bellator, World Welterweight Grand Prix. The fight that took two years to make between two trash-talking, explosive Brits. Why are they doing this fight in Connecticut, not in Britain? Well, probably a good thing they didn't do it in Britain because this fight stunk. Brandon, whose fault was it in the end that Michael Page takes home a five-round decision on scores of 48-47 on all three judges' cards and everyone hated it? I was just going to say, we're trashing on this card because... You had four decisions, and none of the fights were entertaining. So that's why this card stung you. It, it had nothing to do with the matchmaking or any of that. Bellator did great in that aspect, but the fighters just didn't perform, plain and simple. Uh, MVP Daily, who's, who takes the most blame? Both of them. Both of them. Because neither wanted to engage. And it was so clear from the onset. The first round... MVP is trying to corner Daly and trying to keep him in at distance to set up shots, but he's still expecting Daly to come forward first. So they're both trying to wait on counter shots, and neither wants to throw. I don't think Daly actually threw a punch in the first round. That's how slow and weird it was. Then Paul Daly. That Paul Daly, you know, that was a kickboxer before who never seemed to have any wrestling game whatsoever, starts taking down MVP to the ground. Yeah. It was that kind of weird fight. Yeah, the, it was a, the correct answer is both are at blame. You're right. Scott Coker's not at blame. The fact that he got Paul Daly into this tournament after originally Daly's name was not part of it. We got it. He got him in there for this fight. We wanted to see this fight. Instead, we got the welterweight version of Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. 
There's your answer. This was supposed to be the fight that Michael Page had his come out moment. That I am that guy. That I'm MVP. I'm, I'm, I'm Venom. Like, here's a 35 year old slugger across from me. We don't like each other. This guy's gonna go for broke and I'm gonna do the, the poor man's Anderson Silva style bender routine and I'm gonna finish him with something slick and nasty. And, and he never committed to that. Daly never committed to being the, the slugger. Did Daly just think in his head that like, I'm gonna shock this guy. I'm not walking into his plans. I'm not gonna walk into his spider web. I'm gonna take him down, grind him out, and shock him. And then he just couldn't do it and was like, I'll just save face. You can't save face at this level. Like, I'm trying to figure out what went wrong here. What went wrong here is I had to watch 25 minutes of it. <laughs> Daily, after the fight, accused Bellator of trying to save their prospect, like, with that decision because it was 48-47 on the three scorecards. Dude, come on. Like, no, I really? Mean, MVP won that fight. I, I don't think either won that fight, to be honest with you. Like, I wasn't impressed with either one. I, I would have been very happy if I saw a draw, honestly, with the way that everything played out. God, because with this tournament, what do you do if that happens? That's the thing, though. Like, what happens if they end in a draw? What does Scott Coker do? Uh, I guess MVP goes forward. I mean, isn't Lorenz Larkin the alternate? Didn't he beat somebody in an alternate fight a couple times ago? I guess you I just remember. you just pump him for it. You say, hey, you guys fought to a draw. You're both out. <laughs> or I guess we do a bonus round. We do a sixth round right here. No. Worst case scenario here for Bellator. The fight stunk. MVP took a step, what, backwards? Sideways at best? No, backwards. Took a step backwards. Didn't show you the goods. Instead showed you he might be vulnerable in certain areas, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. He, dude, he got taken down by a 35-year-old kickboxer. Yeah, Like, right. come on, man. You, if you want to be this, another one of these style benders or whatever, you think you're slick, you think you're all this, all that, man, <laughs> you need to finish that fight. So it Plain might be it more simple. his fault then in the end. Did he not come forward because he feared Paul Daly's power? Was that it? Was the moment too big for no, him? No, but he I don't was, get he it. was, he was forward though. He had Daly on his heels the whole fight. He just waited for counter shots. He was trying to pull that in, like you said before that Anderson Silva let you strike, duck the head and then come over the top. So I don't, I don't know, man. It, it was just very frustrating for everybody involved. Like I, I wanted I want to hear from the two camps just to see what the game plans were for that because that's the biggest question mark I have is what was the game plan for MVP once he got taken down in that second round because something's got to change you got to be like okay he's going to start shooting for takedowns we need to counter this we need to we need to step aside and and avoid and push the head away I don't know I I I kind of lean toward blaming Daly more just because Daly could have gone for broke. Like he easily could have gone for broke and gone for the knockout, and he just didn't. He wanted to do he the same dude who got mad at John Fitch and talked to Scott Coker in the middle of a fight for having a lay and pray style pulled the lay and pray style. Like really? Ah, <laughs> uh, the winner will get uh Douglas Lima. And correct me if I'm wrong, Douglas Lima just kind of became the favorite in this tournament right now. And that you the only way you can say that is if you have doubts about Rory. And I do kind of have doubts about Rory. I always have doubts about Rory because he's such a vulnerably delicate warrior, right? Like he, like he gets really hurt in these fights. And I, I mean, look, Doug Lima pushed Rory as far as you can push him in losing the title. 
you know, in Rory's second Bellator fight in a great five-round war last January, I think he may be able to beat him in the rematch. If MVP shows up like this, Lima's going to beat him. But now suddenly Lima MVP is going to be very interesting. I hope Michael Page overcorrects and just goes for it because it's going to be a war against Lima. That's going to be fun business. I'm Dude, not think, really into the I, whole, yeah. I I think Douglas Lima is going to beat the brakes off of MVP, man. I I this isn't just me losing confidence after this fight. This is just the fact that MVP's never fought anybody at the level of even Paul Daly and that's the kind of performance we got from him. Douglas Lima is 10 times the fighter Paul Daly is at this point. He's a great fighter. How, how do you have any confidence in MVP going forward because after that? I have to believe he had – the goods were there to get to this point, even though, yes, he hasn't fought a killer uh, – a row of killers. We know that. But I have to believe with his swagger and the confidence that this was just a really bad night at the office for whatever reasons, maybe things outside of the cage. Who knows? We don't – we're not – you know, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see what he says one day. But I have to believe that he can overcorrect and come out and be that guy. And look, against a guy like Lima, you're going to have to because he's coming for you. So – I feel like we're going to see whatever MVP really has. That's why I'm not ready to count him out, but I have to favor Lima coming in on this fight, and I can't wait for it. Lima, I've said that you know for more than a year now. I'd be the most underrated fighter in the whole sport, be wise. Get wise to that, bro. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% on that. I I want to see it, and they're going to do it in May. I think they're – is it in May? I think they said it's going to be the, the May card with Rory, I want to say. So – Get us, get us to that fight. Get us there. I want to get us out of Bellator because it really was, I guess, the more we looked into it, a bad two nights in a row. Do you know what was not bad? UFC on ESPN 1, Sunday night, Phoenix. I know the main event was 26 seconds and there's a lot to talk about, but be wise, we said coming in, it's a really sneaky good card. This feels like a pseudo pay-per-view. It's it, it's not it wasn't as strong as a pay per view, but what it had was depth. It really had depth of guys you wanted to see, matchups you wanted to see. This thing delivered. I was thoroughly entertained from from bell to bell, bang to bang, from Alexandra Albu's abs in the opening fight to uh, Kane's knee popping uh, as we popped off champagne to close it for uh, Ngannou. This was a good night of fighting. This ESPN era so far, be wise. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe that we actually, the fights for the most part actually delivered. Cynthia Calvillo pretty much laid an egg to me, but I'm still mad about that. Um, but yeah, Andre Feely, Miles Jury was awesome. Vincente Luque and Brian Barbarina was amazing. Was just, I called it an early fight of the year contender just because there hasn't really been anything that's jumped off the page at you yet this year. That fight was amazing. There was there never seemed to be real danger for either one, but as the fight wore on, good lord, were they landing hard and, and clean shots to the head. Let's go right there. That was on the main card, welterweights. Vicente Luque had to show you an insane backbone to win this fight because we know Brian Barberina is a caveman, a warrior. You know he's crude at times, but he's one of those dudes that's going to take punishment and keep coming. And if Luque wasn't who he who he was on this night, good lord, if he didn't finish him with six seconds to go in the fight, he may not have won that fight. I didn't get a chance to see the cards. I had him down going to the to the horn. He gets a brutal and violent finish with a knee to the face and finishes it off with punches. But what I'm saying is there were so many moments in this fight where Barbarina took Vicente's best shot 
and then came back with something heavy. And why? As we've seen it a million times, you can be as talented as you want to be. It wears you down mentally when somebody's taking your best shot and coming back for more. I was sort of always lukewarm on Luke coming in. This is one of those performances where you go, oh, like he could be something. This could be a future title contender because the toughness, the grit was there, man. Like that, I mean, yes, fight of the year, entertainment, everything. This fight banged. The end of that first round was friggin' insane. But I come out of here going, Luke real. So he was actually down on one card 20 to 18, and it was even on the other two. So he needed the third round either way if he was going to have a chance to get the win if it went to that decision. But, yeah, that I mean, the first round, I messaged you when it happened. That was like the craziest 60 seconds I think I've seen in a long time of MMA because he had he had Barbarina in rear naked choke. Like, you don't get out of that. And out of nowhere, he got dropped. He got dropped, and then he has the presence of mind to catch Barbarina coming in for the finish and putting him in the choke. Amazing. And then Barbarina squeezed his head out. I don't even know how he did that. Yeah, that wasn't tight. He was done. And then, and then he turned. And as he broke out of it, Luke turned it into a Darsh choke, and he got out of that too. It was just an amazing fight. It's. It was one of those fights where it was early enough on the card that you're still getting like casual fans from ESPN in to see. And that's the kind of performance you need because that's going to get people to be interested in it for a couple more fights and keep you looking for more fights and looking for more of those kind of performances. Luke, like you said, I think he has star potential. He's finished his last what? He's finished eight of his last nine, I think. And his only loss is to Leon Edwards by decision in March 2017. He beat your boy Jalen Turner. He beat Chad LaPriest, Nico Price, Balam Muhammad. He's run through some names here. If they can start, if they use this as his like catapult to get to stardom or into the, just even into a top 10 fight, I'm in on it. I want to see Luke against somebody else in the top 10 now. I mean, he's a good looking dude. He, he seems to have some swagger to him. This was really a complete breakout performance. Loved it. I hope it, it ends up in that fight of the year conversation because just the, it was just brutal, man. I mean, it was really friggin' brutal. And shout out to Barbarina. That's as hard luck a defeat as you, as I've seen in a while. I mean, it certainly isn't, uh, uh, the, the knockout of the year last year. The, the, the reverse elbow with one second to go in round five, uh, Korean zombie. Korean zombie. Thank you. Wow, that was bad. At the <laughs> UFC 25 card in Denver, it may not have been that unlucky, but but look, I didn't think a ton of Barbarina. Yeah, he's gonna knock out a guy like Jake Ellenberger on the way out. Certainly gonna lose against a Colby. We we know Barbarina put himself on the map with sort of upsetting Sage Northcutt at that point. Damn, damn. This makes me want to see him. I'm not saying his ceiling is all that high, dude. But how about this? You ready for this? This is matchmaking here, okay? You ready? Do it. Eventually, is going to catch some L's, right? He's going to fight those quick fighters who can stay away from him. He's going to catch more L's. And then he's going to go like this. He's going to say, you know what, man? Right now I'm 29, but in a couple years I'll have a few more L's and I'll be like 33. You know, I'm going to move up to welterweight. I'm sorry. I'm going to – I'm sorry. Let me take that back. I got that in reverse. He is at welterweight. He's going to catch a couple L's. He's going to linger. And it's your boy Justin Gaethje who's going to move up to welterweight, okay? And it's going to be a little bit of a desperation move. And he's like, you know, i got to find a tough out at welterweight to prove myself. And that tough out will be Bam Bam, Mohawk and all. And Justin Gaethje and Bam Bam Barbarina 
will put on a death ball of fun. It will be the most violent fight in UFC history. <laughs> I love that you're predicting this for another couple of years when Justin Gaethje is going to be washed by the end of this year. <laughs> All right, maybe his I- desperation move to welterweight comes sooner. Either way, Barbarina's waiting there. By the way, Barbarina victories over both Ellenberger brothers, both by TKO. You you, you like that or no? So we made some Ellenberger sandwiches? No, 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 no. Never piss off a gangster. Well, hey, Luke, look, gangster, I'm ready for more of it. Let's give him a top ten guy. Let's find out who he is. Let's give him a uh, ice bag, though, for a while. That's a CTE fight. I, I hate making that yes. joke, but that's bad news. Hey, Andre Feely, you mentioned it, getting that decision in the featherweight bout over Miles Jury. What is wrong with this Phoenix crowd? Because they booed the balls out of this fight. Look, it wasn't, uh, you know... Griffin Bonner won, but this was a pretty interesting boxing match with some blood, with some back and forth. Both guys not backing down. Check your check yourselves over there in Phoenix. Seriously, man, they booed every fight. I don't understand it. Like I've never seen a crowd get so upset at people that are actually punching them, punching each other in the face. Like I almost said, punching themselves in the face, but punching each other in the face. It's like. I, I don't understand. I have you never been to a fight before? Did you think that Kane being off for two years meant that like nothing happened I mean, <laughs> anymore? They gave Kane I, a hero's welcome. You know they were there for Kane. They were there for Courtney Casey, the Phoenix product. But dude, they booed a lot of situations where it was either like you don't boo that, or okay, boo that five minutes from now. Don't boo it like the one the one ten second right. stretch where there's no punches. Don't boo that. It was like almost as if people were standing in front of each other for five seconds looking for their openings and their moves, and they're starting to boo. Or Aljamain Sterling takes Jimmy Rivera against the cage for a second, and people are booing. It's like, (laughs) aren't you guys a wrestling town? Isn't that like why Kane is like such a big hero there? Because he won a bunch of wrestling championships at Arizona State? What? I don't understand it. Yeah, they got they got to really turn that look around. But uh, we mentioned this undercard had a bunch of storylines, had a bunch of fun moments from Albu's abs to uh, my You're not boy. getting away from it. You're not getting away from it. Come on. Barau. My boy, the Baron. Uh, <laughs> Penn and Barau got got I, I, you can't say someone got sent to hell when that's where they live i mean hen and Burrell, luke sanders the former beau of uh wwe superstar becky lynch uh he's not even that good like not i mean luke sanders is fine but look hen and brow even washed hen and brow at 32 should be eating luke sanders lunch and he knocked him down a couple times he looked on his way man and then he just got caught to make it even worse Burrell missed weight again for this fight Four straight defeats, six losses in his last seven, seven defeats in his last nine since the title lost to Dillashaw the first time. I say this every time, B. Tell me another champion who had this hard of a fall off. Like Johnny Hendricks' run was bad post-title loss, right? A couple guys have Anthony Pettis, but like... This is just like, this is not the same man. And it's not like he's 36. He's 32. And he's been washeth for like three years now. Yeah. I mean, Carlos Condon, Robbie Lawler, and Rafael Dos Anjos are on their ways to that, it feels like. My, they're yeah, not, smaller they're not there degree. yet. They're not there yet. So, I, yeah, it's been bad, man. It was, and it was a classic loss for Barrow, like you said. He looked good in the first round. That's the, he always tricks you. 
the first round, it's like, all right, you know what? This is like, this is how he looks. This is a normal, he's going to stay at range. He's going to land well. All right, it's good. Second round starts. Uh-oh, game plan's gone. Guy in the face. Oh, no, I'm on my back. Uh-oh, I'm out. It was just like, dude, how do you not change the game plan ever, ever? He doesn't move his head. He has almost too good of a chin for a wash guy. What I mean by that is this. A lot of these losses have been by decision because he'll just get rocked, but he'll hang in there. Nose will be bleeding, and he'll still keep coming back for more. But, man, he he got shut down in this one by Sanders. Now you start to say, what are we doing here? Does he just go to Bellator and fade away, or does he just go? Really? What are we doing here, Wise? I mean, ATT needs some good coaches now. Just go join the coaching staff, man. Save your brain. Seriously. Him and Tiago Alves can make some good coaching decisions over there. Yeah, get out too early rather than too late. And No, it's not even too early. It's time to go. He he can't fight on this level. He can't even make Bantamweight. Or wait, was this a featherweight? What kind, what kind of? Weight? No, this was this was bantamweight. He said he has one more fight left on his UFC deal, and apparently he said before the fight that he's moving up to featherweight after missing weight again. So, no, yeah, no, I'm sorry, can't do it, won't do it. Uh, Aljo Aljamain Sterling gets the win over Jimmy Rivera. Hey, that's a good win for Aljo, and I know this was a feud that had been building on social media for a few years, but um, you'd mentioned it to me. You know, Jimmy Rivera had one of those uh, Barrow-like win streaks before finally stepping up, finally getting his chance. And, of course, he took the loss to Marlon Marais, you know, first-round finish. But uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. At 29, he just didn't look like he had it on this night. He didn't look like the title challenger he had been when he was putting away old Faber and taking the decision for Thomas Almeida. Like, there was a run there where you're like, wow, this guy's something. That has faded a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just like lingering effects or anything like that, but he's just, I just think he's got warning track power. Like he landed a couple shots on Aljo that you would think, oh, that's, that's clean. That looks good. And Aljo just ate it and kept moving. Um, Aljo, his wrestling game is just so above and beyond with working with your favorite Matt Sarah and Ray Longo that he just dominated this from a grappling standpoint and he never really gave Jimmy a chance to open up and, and let his hands go. So I think that was the biggest key for this. And, and man, Sterling now he's, he went on Ariel show earlier today and he was saying bantamweight division's a mess right now. And it's kind of hard to argue with that based on how everything's played out because Sterling's probably what now he'll be 29. No, no, no. He'll be a, I'm saying he'll be a top four. In the rankings yeah, after he's this? Won five of his last six. That only lost to Marais got him as well. I mean, you know, then look, those two losses before that, the split decision defeats to Sun Tzu and Brian Carraway, you could have, they could have gone either way, certainly. So, I, I mean, it's hard to argue with his logic there, and especially with TJ losing in 30 seconds to Cejudo, and we don't know when he's coming back. We still don't have a main event for UFC 236. I'm going to keep saying it oh until God. we get that news. That, so UFC 236 is, we think it's a big one, right? It's April 13th. I, that was the Brooklyn one last year. It's either they're going to make it a blow out the budget card or they're just going to do it as an also ran pay-per-view like they did in May last year with Nunes and Pennington because they're spending money on the March card with John Jones and Tyron Woodley. I but mean, the March card's loaded. 
We know uh, in theory that that international fight week card in July will be big. Do they have another big one in between, or, or like you said, do we get an in between pay per view? Do we then get a Brazil pay per view, which is, which are always sort of watered down to a certain degree? Um, the whole thing is watered down. I hope two thirty six matters. I hope they've just been waiting to see how it plays out. Hey, maybe this main event could affect that. We'll get to that in a second. But um, look, the other big story outside of Francis Ngannou, which we haven't even broken down yet, was. Crone Gracie, shout out to the 30-year-old, the featherweight, making his UFC debut, 4-0 coming in, the nephew, of course, of the legendary Hicks and Gracie, I'm sorry, the son, the nephew, of course, of Hoist Gracie, grandson of Helios, and uh, this was as perfect. I mean, look, Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres is both dangerous and ridiculously overrated, he's got great hair, but this was as perfect a UFC debut as you could want. First round submission, rear naked joke, two minutes and six seconds. It was throwback, dude. If you're an old school dude and you're like, man, the Gracie's got me into this sport, which happened to me. Although really it was Keith Hackney punching Joe Son in the balls like 75 times that got me into this sport because I've never seen my grandfather laugh that hard ever when he was telling me about it. Had tears in his eyes laughing so hard that I'm like, I got to see what you're talking about. Uh This was old school, man. This had to feel good, right? You, you catch feels from this? A Gracie. All the Gracie spinoffs have been okay, right? That that the next generation of Gracies, like Neiman Gracie's unbeaten in Bellator, he's in the tournament. He's pretty good. The rest have been okay. This guy has the swagger. So I was watching this with my wife and trying to explain the lineage that they showed on the screen of the Gracies that have tried and failed in Bellator and and won championship and all of that. Have you, do you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Oh. So Charlie Day has a bit where he's in the mail room trying to <laughs> trying to figure out where all of this all of the mail is supposed to go and he's basically losing his mind. That's how I felt last night trying to explain, okay, this Gracie belongs to that guy and this this nephew half brother belongs to this guy. It was just like trying to put pins everywhere and trying to be like, all right, this looks all right. This makes sense now. So it's kind of like the anyway. Samoan WWE family. It's like, well, yeah, the Rock is related to Roman Reigns, but I need a slide rule to figure out how. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was also funny that he's the only one that doesn't start with an R. I thought that was interesting. Everyone else starts with an R. He's different. He's special. Um, but yeah, that was a throwback win, man. Like I had a buddy text me after the fight. He said, I don't know much about MMA fighting, but I do know that you should never let a Gracie get your back. <laughs> do you think, um, 60 year old Hicks and Gracie right now could be Alex Caceres? No. Don't, why are you doing this? Stop, come on, come on. He's on, I mean, he was the stud. He, I wish he would have fought in the UFC. He was a stud. Uh, look, fantastic. We know Chrome Gracie's boy is Nate Diaz, who was in his corner. I like that. Gracie was almost like, surfer dude, I don't care in the beginning of the post-fight interview. You know, he said, whoop, there it is, which popped me, of course. But then when he just brought it and was like, protect your effing neck at the end, then you know that there's, there's a, there's a dude under there. Like, there's a guy with swagger that knows what he's doing. Great interview. Did you see the one he gave with Brett Okamoto of ESPN backstage? No. Really good interview that talks about the pressure of being a Gracie offspring. And, and you know, from the first tournament he was in at age nine for, you know, grappling, he, there was that pressure on him to win. So he's very comfortable in this type of spotlight. And really, was it a little odd that Conor McGregor was tweeting the crap out of him? Did you see that? Yeah, I think that was more he he just really respects the Gracies and everything they've done for the sport. And he was really happy to just see that. I, I found the, the thing I found weird was how much Connor's starting to like Nate now. 
<laughs> he's like openly saying like, oh, I'm so glad Nate was in your corner. That's what and... I'm saying. By extension, mentioning Nate a couple times in those tweets, it was weird. Yeah, that that was like – I thought you guys were trying to have a trilogy fight. Don't do not do this we love each other stuff now. We need you to hate each other again. That's what sold the damn fight. <laughs> yeah, you're right. More on the Diaz brothers to come, but – Chrome Gracie, uh, wow, welcome. Hey, let's not ruin this and throw him to someone he shouldn't, but let's really have some fun with this. Is yes, there a middle ground? 100%. Can we have a middle ground, please? Someone in the top 25. Yeah, please. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Calvillo, rough win over Courtney Casey. Not the most entertaining. That was, though, the 5,000th fight in UFC history? Something you care about that I don't care about. I don't. I don't care. I don't care. But, man, people love tweeting about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get into this Coleman. This delivered. This was a fun, tactical, but at times violent fight that really played out well. Lightweights, Paul Felder getting the best of James Vick by unanimous decision in a, what was a really close fight that, that I think both guys thought they were going to win when those scorecards were read. Um, the Irish Dragon, really emotional post-fight interview, talked about losing his dad, talked about how much his mom deserves credit for what she did raising three crazy kids talked about coming back from breaking his arm against Mike Perry, but wise. Then you told me it got much worse for his body shortly after that. Holy crap. He suffered a punctured lung on a kick from James Vick that pushed a rib into his lung. I mean, Oh man. I mean, between the, Exploding bowels of, uh, Robert Whitaker, uh, Sergey Karatinov's bag. Now this? Like, what a rough couple week stretch, but dude, what a warrior Paul Felder is. Like, I was just gonna tell you that my basic analysis of Paul Felder's, like, a tough ass out, and if he puts it together, he really is a dark horse title contender. Like, I'm gonna have to see him beat an ally Akinta type guy, I'm gonna have to see him beat more, but look, James Vick, no slouch. James Vick, Fought a really good game plan, I thought. I thought at times really controlled distance, really landed some stiff counter shots. Felder just was just better. Felder's good, but to overcome that injury, damn. Dude, it it's almost like comical how often he gets hurt. But when you look at how he fights, it you're like, well, yeah, that guy's going to get hurt. Because he goes in throwing nothing but elbows and knees at people. And yeah, stuff's going to break when you do that. So... I like you said. I hope Paul Felder can put it together, but man, am I not ready to see Paul Felder in the title contention at 155? 155 is already a mess as it is. I man, I don't think he's that kind of fighter. I he is a great fight. He is a great tactical dude who will throw anything at you to knock you down. And he really tried against James Vick. That elbow, that that spinning elbow he landed in the third round. I don't know how Vick survived that because he looked like he caught him flush in the temple. I just don't want to see Paul Felder in the top 10 yet. I need to see him fight somebody in the top 10 again because I think Vic was a good test for him. I just don't – I don't think he's there yet. He needs another year maybe if he's going to get that. I wonder, by the way, if he was so emotional because maybe he had a contract coming up. Just a thought. Maybe he wow, thought like that was like his last fight with UFC right now. Well, they like his announce work, don't they? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Not my favorite announcer. Um, look, he's solid. I do think though he gets hit too often. So when he does eventually, if he can get through one or two more guys and really enter this title picture, look, an elite guy is going to put a lot of hurt on him. Felder's really tough, and he'll take that beating. But um, 
this is, you know, he's improving though. I mean, every time I see him, I seem to like more and he, man, did he fight through a lot against Mike Perry. Like he earned a lot of, you know, balls points that night. But this is a good win, dude, because James Vick, I thought, bounced back nicely from the Gates G loss. I thought, you know, he put on a, a a really good performance. I thought he had an outside shot to to believe that he won this fight. Oh, dude, we were talking about it after the fight. Two of those judges gave Felder a 30-27. Not good. Get out of here. That can go the hell away because yeah. there's no way he won all three rounds. Vic looked a lot more solid, like you said, than he had in those last couple that last fight against Gaethje. It's a crowded lightweight division, though, so to, to the idea of Felder actually eventually getting a title shot, man, you might need three or four more big wins. I mean, like, you know, this is going to be a bottleneck, but this is the best bottle in all of MMA, so shake it up, bro. Shake it up and just pour it all over yourself. Lightweight is where it's at, okay? Deepest, darkest, most destructive division, and really maybe the only division that's more entertaining than women's strawweight. Make the 16-man tournament like Bellator's doing. That would be so damn good, man. Whoop that ass. I whooped that ass. Yeah, whoop what can that. I say? What can you say on that? Wow. All right, let's talk about this main event. This was the biggest story of the week, and it was Cain Velasquez's comeback from 31 months. Two fights in four years. First fight since UFC 200. We talked about it last week. Waited until he was physically healthy. Almost seemed to take an additional year off to be there for the birth of his son, Kane Jr., last year, to really just come back when he was ready. And he said all the right things coming in, Wise. I really, I mean, it's funny, I was getting text messages from people that aren't UFC fans before that fight. They're going, dude, they're sending him up against Nganu coming off that long of a layoff. I'm like, dude, cardio Kane will be fine, bro. All right? Just going to take that ass down. I mean, this is what he does. Ring rust, cage rust is not a thing here. There were a lot of things here. Wise. <laughs> a lot of things in a short period of time. 26 seconds later, the comeback is dead for now. And we're not going to talk about it enough because this is really Kane's show and Kane's story and Kane's defeat. But shout out to Francis Ngannou. However you believe it actually happened, and the replays are kind of inconclusive, what we do know is that the Predator did land two right hands, one of them being an uppercut. And then Velasquez's left knee went. Whether the knee went as a result of the punches or whether Kane's just a sad, injury-prone bastard in the second half of his career, which is sad to see because he is the best heavyweight in UFC history. This was shocking, man. This was some shocking-ass stuff. And people are adding me on Twitter and debating. I got like 75 tweets today from half the people saying it was on punches, the other half saying... Dude, there's no knockout. His knee just fell off. Why is what actually happened here in this in these 26 seconds? Well, I want to get your take on this because I think we both watched the replay a hundred times last night because we needed to get it right for the story. And I, I am on team that uppercut that Francis threw as Kane came in looking to start look trying to get the takedown. I think that uppercut landed flush, and that's what dropped Kane. I think that that's. That force actually knocked Kane out momentarily and lo- and that forced his legs, like his legs went out. So that's why his, his knee ends up folding and then tearing is because Kane probably went out, m- went out momentarily after that strike. And then Kane, Francis just kept following it up and he, and forced Kane to cover up. So that's where I think I went through such a weird emotional roller coaster during that in the, in a short period of time. I thought he got sent to hell. 
Then I was fully convinced he never actually got touched because I saw two replays that were from bad angles. And I'm like, oh, this was just an injury situation. And Gano didn't do anything. And then I kind of came back to where I'm almost right in the middle. I think both happened. You're right. It may have been the punches that caused the knee. But I also think that, you know, Kane's just, man, he's just fragile in this weird way that's really sucks. And I don't think he was punched out enough to where had the knee not given out that he wouldn't have been able to ride, you know, ride the store, ride the wave there and get back up. Because look, Nganu's shots were short, was not getting full extension on them, even though yes, he's a devastating striker. I, I, you know, the knee was the reason he couldn't continue. Did the punches cause it or not? To me, that doesn't matter as much. I know it matters in terms of are you giving Nganu credit or not. Kane looked bad in these 26 seconds, man. Weird sort of circle kicks to start off. Sort of shoots in for a takedown at a almost kind of inopportune time. Gets caught doing it. And then the injury happened. And the injury did matter. It was a part of it. Doesn't mean it's not a knockout. Doesn't mean he didn't get punched clean because it's a Pruder film style like you mentioned. I went a full 30 minutes trying to break that thing down. I saw a right cross that landed clean. And I certainly saw an uppercut that seemed to be the damaging shot. Again, I don't think that would have knocked him out. But everything that happened, happened. And Kane's comeback got derailed, dude. Not for good, not for life. But this was supposed to be the good story right now. All those stops and starts, man. He was supposed to ride and wrestle in Gano for as long as Francis was willing to take it. And then we were going to figure out what do we do next. Does DC drop the belt? Does Kane fight Stipe for it? Let's put the belt on Kane where it belongs because he really is the best heavyweight of all time. No. He's injury-prone-wise. We can't deny that. So I had two things from that. One, did you hear Chael after the fight on SportsCenter when he was breaking down the, breaking down what happened? I watched it, but I don't know what you're referencing completely. So he mentioned what you were just saying about Kane with the kicks that he started with. He said that, that to him, that meant Kane didn't feel comfortable from the start. So I don't know if that, if in in Chael's opinion, if that means it's nerves or if it was just ring rust maybe from not being in from for two years or over two years. I thought that was interesting just because thinking about it, I don't think I've ever seen Kane come out like that for a fight. I don't think he's ever started with two straight head kicks trying to land to open instead of going for punches or setting up a takedown because that that's just not his style. And I know that Javier Mendez always says we, we're adding new wrinkles with every fight with Kane. That referencing the, his uh, his cartwheel kick he landed against uh, Travis Brown in, at UFC 200. But I don't know. He just didn't like you said. He didn't look comfortable to me. He he seemed to be off balance throughout the whole fight. He was bouncing a lot trying to set up motions, but like he even said, he came in too tight looking for the the takedown, got caught with the uppercut, and then. His, he said his knee gave out. Yeah, the air. He when you get tweets from Chris Weidman saying you're injury prone. Oh my god. There's something. There's something going on with you. And man. everybody, it, thank you. And this is still my boy. Stop it, Weidman. Stop it. Yeah, but I think we need to look at the other side of this because man. Francis Ngannou has scary power. I'm not ready to get to that other side yet. All right, let me take you one more time on Kane. <laughs> I really respect Kane. Kane really rarely does interviews. He's always really bad at them. I thought he had good interviews ahead of this fight, and I thought what he said in the post-fight, look, he was very uh polite, obviously, and, and was really nice to Ngannou. What did Ngannou say that Kane even offered to, like, help uh 
donate to his charity in Africa. I mean, Kane's a good dude, but I'm saying is I watched that whole post-fight press conference and Kane, he's weird and not a great interview, but he's also really honest. So when he says, like you saw the disappointment in his eyes, he prepared like crazy. He really, so wise. I think he really, really, really was as mentally and physically prepared and comfortable. That's why I kind of disagree with Kane, what Chael is saying, even though I get seeing him do those awkward kicks does sort of support Chael's theory. But I really believe Kane after the fact, when he says mentally and physically, dude, he was so ready for this. Like he purposely took off extra time. We know this. There were reports that he was medically cleared a year ago and he kind of just delayed it. He came back when he was fully ready. So to have this type of ending is just heartbreaking. Uh, you know, you could argue those weird kicks were his way of sort of maybe trying to get Ngannou to give a tell for a takedown or whatever. But either way, like he said, he got too close too soon and too dangerous of a spot. Probably would have been smarter to try to wear down Ngannou's gas tank. Ngannou, I think, is always going to be a one-trick pony. Obviously, that one trick is legit, and those punches contributed to this injury and this ending. But man, dude, I'm not ready to talk about Ngannou yet because I'm not ready almost as a fan for this dream to be over. And yes, he can heal up and we don't know what the diagnosis is on the left knee. Kane didn't actually seem too concerned about it after meaning from the standpoint that it could like hold him back for a while. So maybe it wasn't that, that, you know, debilitating or damaging, although it, it did seem to cause him to lose the fight. But from an emotional standpoint, from a like narrative and legacy, I don't know, man. I was just ready for him to walk back in there and take the, the belt off whoever had it. You know, or, or maybe good friend DC was going to give it up. This this was, in a weird way, this like hurt. This was kind of hard to see. So I got two things that we can talk about now with Kane. One, do you think the ring rust played any factor? Yes. And I think there's and, only certain guys that are immune to that. And I thought Conor McGregor was one of them coming into that uh, that fight against Habib. And certainly we saw that that was a major factor. Timing, dude, comfortability, all that stuff. So I want to say that to me, because I, <laughs> I was joking with you about this last night, but this is one of those weird things where it's like, dude, UFC needs to let go of these old school guys that sold them pay-per-views in the past. I know they have the fan base. I know they have the drawing power. It's great. You threw all of the promotion behind Kane for this. In the Rousey, Rousey Nunes fight, you threw all the promotion behind Ronda Rousey, even though she didn't do a damn bit of media for that fight. What Ronda Rousey finance? Not doing media. Not doing media. That's where it was. <laughs> even the Khabib Connor fight, it wasn't about Khabib. It was about the bus attack from Connor and Connor doing all of the talking and saying all of the nasty things about Khabib and his family and his country. And what happened to those three people, uh, BC? They all met a very, very bad demise. Okay. MMA is for, is a sport of young, hungry sharks and you get figured out really quick. I'm not saying Kane got figured out. I, we still, we're never going to really truly know what happened there. But at the same time, man, this sport is so not for older fighters. You do not get the graceful exit. You do not get – There's no happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get the easy decision fights at the end where you can – you know you're not going to get crushed by a, hay, a haymaker. It's just not there. This ain't the time and, massage parlor. So Kane is it was bad matchmaking first of all. Let's just get that out of the way. For Kane to come back against that guy was just to me the dumbest decision you can it make. It is, but that's what UFC is though. You have to admit like 
Brock Lesnar wants to fight, they give him Frank Mir. Like they they do that, dude. That's what Dana does. But you but what, they, what's weird to call this bad matchmaking and you're right the way it ended. But had he laid and prayed on on Ngannou and ran out his gas tank and just dominate him, we would have said the same thing. We would have been like, oh, this is really bad gas matchmaking. They gave him someone so easy that he would look great against. In the end, they gave him a UFC-level matchmaking, but they also gave him a guy who had he beaten, you're going to say title shot next right now. You're going to – you know what I mean? Like it's not like I'll give him, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Tua Tua Vasa or whatever the name of that. Uh, Hi, Tua Vasa. Tua Tua Vasa or uh, – James Tahuna, I don't know. Uh, Tyson Pedro. <laughs> yeah, or uh, no, they gave him a, a dangerous guy with a, but also a guy that could have been exposed really badly. So here was my con- conspiracy theory last night, from my perspective. My thought was, you get Kane out there, and he does. Let's say he does the lay and pray like you're talking about. Gets Francis out of there. Gets a nice decision win. The crowd goes crazy. Oh, it's great. Yeah, Kane is back. Kane is back. And then Stipe comes walking out. And you've got a now a title eliminator between Stipe and Kane at UFC 236 as your main event. Headlining for the interim title because with DC being injured, although I don't think he's crazy injured, but Dana would have not had a problem rolling out that interim title. And you know what 100%. happened? If Stipe wins... We got ourselves a DC, DC Stipe rematch, International Fight Week. And if Kane would have won, DC goes, oh, hey, guess what, guys? I'm giving up the big title. I'm going to the John Jones trilogy. It, it really, it's really would have been smart and perfect, but there's no perfect in MMA. There's no happy ending in combat sports. Nothing guaranteed in MMA. So even though you're saying, like, why are we, you know, Putting all the promotion on the old guys. Well, you put they put the promotion on the guy they think is going to sell because there's the flip side to that. Darren Till got pushed to the mountaintops against Woodley, and man, did he get humbled. You know, I mean, Ngannou got the push of a lifetime against Stipe. You knew UFC was hoping he would win, and then Dana trashed the crap out of Ngannou afterwards. They're going to push where the money is. I think it was smart to push Kane the way they did. But for all this talk about Kane, yes, it's time to talk about Francis Ngannou. Because however you thought this fight happened, the punches did connect. And Ganu once again destroyed somebody. Just blew away Curtis Blades in 45 seconds in their rematch late last year. Yeah, he had some dark moments, both against Stipe, certainly against Derek Lewis and losing that really bad decision at UFC 226. And then also in getting called out so hardcore by Dana White in the aftermath for being a diva, for not being committed to training, all that stuff. But it seems to have worked. I thought the best quote I saw was right after the fight when Francis was like, I'm having fun now. You know, like in the past I would have stressed out. No, I'm having fun now. This is for me again. This is, you know, and that's the right attitude to have. He's a player, man. And this division's fun right now because we got DC. We may get Lesnar back for better or worse. We may get John Jones. We may get Gustafson. Stipe's around. We got some, like, fun players, man. As much as it would have been fun to have Prime Kane back in that mix, Having a suddenly more legitimate Francis Ngannou is not bad. I give this guy credit for the manner in which he's bounced back. And if you wanted to make DC Ngannou next, I'm here. DC doesn't sound interested, by the way. He uh, was on SportsCenter with Ariel after the fight. and he's despondent on that. Yeah, he, he was broken. He was – which, again, I, I was kind of like – why aren't you there if this is like your brother and training partner? Why aren't you supporting him in Phoenix? That was odd. Um, 
yeah, you have such an easy story to tell, right? If you're UFC and Dana White, throw the book at DC, man. Give him whatever money he wants for that fight because you can easily sell that redemption story after Kane gets knocked out by this dude to come in and fight against a, a mammoth of a man in Francis and Ghana. Oh, it's like the old Klitschko thing. Like, remember one Klitschko brother would lose, the other one would come <laughs> back and beat him? I mean, th- we know that DC loves him some Kane. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah. I love you. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it would be nice. It would be nice. I don't, I don't know why he was there. So here's the thing. Kane, had a media scrum coming up where he was like, no, DC won't be my corner. He's got something he's doing. It's really important. I'm totally okay with it. Remember when DC said last year, he's only going to fight once more in March before he turns 40. And then I have a big thing I'm going to announce. Like it was like some media thing, but it wasn't WWE. He said, I think he's going to, is it like a TV show? Is it a movie role? I think he's doing something, right? Yeah. He's been keeping it quiet, right? Real quiet. has this major offer that he can't tell anybody about yet because he's still fighting, but I don't know. And then yet Dana said, we have a fight for DC, but it's not Francis. What does that mean? Well, DC on that interview with Ariel said that he's only fighting one more time and it's Brock Lesnar. So He said um, if Brock can't do it, it would be Stipe. He said that a bunch of times as well, so... This and Dana, Dana said that he won't announce the fight when one of the participants is injured. They've never done business that way, which is kind of funny when you hear that guy saying it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's gotta be Brock, right? It's, yeah, it's gotta so be it's Brock, gotta be, International Fight Week. I was gonna say, with a co-main of, with, now here's the thing. Do you do a co-main event of Stipe Francis 2 to, to firmly declare who's next in line, or do you, Hold Francis to try, or do you try to hold Francis and da- no, you can't hold Francis and dangle him to DC because Stipe would deserve it. You got to do Stipe and Gano too, right? That'd be a great co-main event. I was gonna say you do the co-main event as um, Kane against Stipe. Anyway, just screw it. Nah, if you you're really going, you if you're re- no, 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 if you're really going for the money and the pay-per-view dollars, because like I just said, they only throw the promotion behind the people they think they can can't sell. Can't do it. Can't you do put it. Kane. You put Kane Stipe there. No, 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 no. Kane's got to get back now. Now it's the time to give him Tai Tuivasa, okay? Now is the time. I think you should shut, shut up. You're embarrassing yourself right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are you still drunk? Oh, what, what's no. going on? No, but I'm going to go. Man, I love when GSP tries weird trash talk. It's just weird. It's just, it's just, it's great. Uh, this is what the heavyweight rankings looks like right now, by the way. It is pretty damn gross. Stipe Miocic, number one contender. Derek Lewis, number two. Francis Ngannou, number three. Curtis Blades is still number four. Alexander Volkov, number five. Alistair Overeem, six. Junior Dos Santos, seven. Yeah. We never needed for doom more than we do now. No, this was actually my fight that I want for Francis next. I was telling you this earlier. You want Francis against Verdum? How about Kane against Verdum? No, 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 no. No, no, no. I want – this is the fight I want for Francis. Okay. I want – let's get – JDS through the Derek Lewis fight in March on March 9th. Let's say he comes out healthy after a clean knockout. I want to see two strikers at heavyweight just going at it. I want Francis against JDS as like an interim fight. If we can't get um, Francis a better fight until then, until summer, because that fight is going to be. I'm in on that. I like that a lot. I like that a real lot. So what is Verdum's situation officially? He, he he's been released. I think he's been released. He just did the uh the the 
um, he's doing the Spanish broadcast for ESPN's UFC coverage. So he's still around. But uh, can we get him back in against Kane at sea level in a rematch? Ugh, man. How about just Alexander Volkov? I, I, I don't even know where you go with Kane for matchmaking now. Because can you just do fun matchmaking with him? Is that even possible with UFC heavyweights at this point? And you're not going to know where his body's at, dude. Again, this is a bigger loss. This is a really bad loss in the way that it Kane, o- Kane Overeem would actually be kind of fun, I think, at this point. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how willing and quick he can come back. If we wait another year, it's like, it's over, dude. It's over. Like, I, I need that guy back in the gym. I need rehab. I need him back. Do you, so I was actually having this debate this morning with somebody in the office who you know pretty well and you know his hot takery for UFC. Don't do it. He says that Kane Velasquez is not the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. That there is not a truly great heavyweight. That's a bad take. Of UFC don't, history. Okay, don't don't do that take. No, there have been great heavyweights. All right, here's the real deal on that. Kane's the best heavyweight in UFC history. If you want to try to say about the sample size or whatever, maybe Stipe's not. If somebody tried to make the Stipe argument just because the title defenses, you're wrong. The only people in this conversation right now, there's three of them. Are you ready? Kane, Randy, the natural Couture, the three-time heavyweight champion. And Daniel Cormier, he just doesn't have enough fights at heavyweight. But, man, that guy's nasty and probably would be in this spot if he had stayed there, if he wasn't such a loyal friend. Can they have a falling out? Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to get in between DC and Kane so we can get that matchup. (laughs) So here is Kane's resume. Let's just – Don't do this to me. Don't – how? okay, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you got? Go ahead. Just listen. Just Just listen. Check Congo. Decision win. Ben Rothwell, knockout. Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, knockout. Brock Lesnar, knockout. Then That's when he wins the belt, right? Then he loses the belt to JDS. Knee injury. Then His his next five fights were against two different people. Only two fighters. He loses to JDS, beats Antonio Silva, then beats JDS, beats Antonio Silva, and fights JDS again. Is that really a greatest of all time resume to you? Well, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You do understand. We did this story last year. UFC heavyweight yes. history is a shallow pool. All right. You know that, right? Yep. With a lot of man boobs. Car- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cardio Kane dominated Big Nog. Cardio Kane exposed and destroyed Brock Lesnar to win the championship. Cardio Kane beat Junior Dos Santos, one of the greatest UFC heavyweights, Two out of three times. The only loss was because of an injury. And he kind of sent JDS to hell and really took him into some dark waters. He's got two wins over a then-dangerous Bigfoot. The second one, I think, will only happen because of an injury, right? And Bigfoot was the next available guy there. Obviously, there's the heartbreaking backbone of, of his constant injuries and the idea of sea uh, level cane and, you know, was the, do we write off the Verdum loss as the elevation and the injuries, all that or whatever? It's tough. Yes, would I like him to have more big wins on the resume to try to easily make the, the statement that he's the greatest of all time? It's hard, but he passes the eye test better than all of them. I'd rather say Randy Couture is the greatest than to hear anybody say, Stipe is, nobody is, or whatever, all right? 
So let's not try that. Let's not forget who Randy Couture is. I know he was, it was a time, it was a barren time for heavyweight, but just the, um, and I know a lot of it is the mo- emotional feel of him going back up to heavyweight at old age. And let's try to act like we don't assume that he was taking something in his late forties when he was still that good. I get there's a lot of weird things going on there. You know that Kane's the best. It's more eye test, yes, but you know if you put prime Kane against anyone else we've seen at heavyweight, short of, you know, DC getting more fights or John Jones moving up and being dominant. Kane's the last man standing. You know this, Brandon. I will just say that those fights that we just ran down, it sounded like there were a lot of circumstances on both sides to get wins. I'm just saying there's a lot of popping circumstance that makes you say Kane is the greatest heavyweight of all time. That's all I'm saying. Move me. <laughs> I'm getting money in championship belts. Oh, God, DC. All right. Um... It's tough. It's a tough, fast debate. It's a tough sport. It's tough to see that happen to Kane. Uh, now let's see what UFC can do. Let's see what happens at 236. Can we, it, like, we don't really know how injured DC is. We just don't know anything right now. Is DC not injured enough where DC and Gano can be run back? Is Brock Lesnar gonna just wait till after WrestleMania and then he's gonna need a, uh, you know, I mean, the, 236 is a week after WrestleMania, so probably not. But I mean, are we gonna see, could we see DC Brock Lesnar in, International Fight Week, very possible at this point. Then DC's going to pretend he's going to retire, and then he'll come back to fight John Jones. You know this in your heart, right? Yeah, I just think Brock Lesnar's going to keep using UFC as leverage. So, what would he use I don't for? Think... Anabolic steroids or UFC as leverage? <laughs> leverage, because as you keep telling me, he's looking thinner and thinner by the day. Uh, I don't know if I'm the one telling you that, but I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to sit out with my friends and family. And hell, I might even get on top of my wife tonight. Wow. See wow. Well, I mean, he did marry Sable, so I guess I can totally, uh, I'm going to drink myself a Coors Light. Yeah. Remember that whole, yeah. Okay. Cause Bud Light won't pay me nothing. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Let's put that thing to bed. Uh, latest news this past week. Uh, we got a double Diaz update. It was, uh, Nate Diaz. I'm sorry. Let me start out with Big Bro. Nick Diaz putting out there on Instagram in a lengthy post on social media, just kind of reiterating what we already know, right? He doesn't want to fight again. He loves partying. And the reason he doesn't want to fight again is because he only wants to fight for his own value. He realizes his own value. So he's only going to come back. What was the exact quote for uh stupid money? He said, if there was an offer I couldn't refuse... Things would be different. Until they are, I'd like to continue to think I've been fighting to make the world a better place. But until I can continue, <laughs> I can continue to do that. I don't want to hurt nobody. I just want to party. What he means is, unless you're going to offer me like GSP in a pay-per-view rematch main event, I'm not coming back. And that's fine, right? I don't really necessarily need to see him against a Masvidal, which we thought we were getting. To me, again, when you get a guy like this who's old and mercurial and probably only going to fight one or two more times at best, it's like when Anderson Silva fought Derek Brunson. I don't need that fight. Give me a fight that matters. Do old guy versus old guy. Give me a fun, creative carnival fight. Give me Connor versus Nick. Give me something like that. I think Nick's in the same boat. Dude, pay me two to three million. Don't pay me 350000 to fight somebody who's, like, ranked number seven in the division. Because I'm not ranked. I'm a celebrity. I'm Nate Diaz. Nick Diaz. I'm high right now. Okay? Right? Yeah. And, by the way, Nick Diaz, man, what is he, 35 now? He's been doing this a long time. By doing I think this, people do need to, like... Partying? What are you saying? <laughs> he's been fighting for a long time. Yes. He's been He's been doing this for probably, what, 
16 years now, something like that well, in been MMA. Horrifically un- inactive for a long time too, though. Touche on that, you know? That's true, but it's like, his body is probably physically hurting at this point from the amount of fights that he's been in. So, if he comes back, I'm here for it. If not, man, congratulations on you making all your money and partying a lot because I want that life. Uh, he's 35. He has fought one time in the last six years. One time in six years. But how many career fights does he have? He has... It's over 40, 37, right? 37. So, I mean, 37, that's a lot. That's a lot of damage. I mean, look, he was active and he fought a lot early UFC. Of course, we saw him in the Elite XC Strike Force run, Strike Force run. Uh, man, I, I always forget that when he came back from Strike Force immediately after knocking out Paul Daly in that incredible 2011 brawl, he only had four UFC fights after that. Like, if you think, I just always think it's more than that. It was the incredible brawl with BJ Penn, the loss to Condit, the loss to GSP, and then the weird Anderson Silva fight. Yeah. And he never made the correct amount of money, except for the Anderson Silva fight, which he, I actually how think he living? had to give back. How are they getting money from marijuana magazines? Like, where, who's paying them? Well, don't, don't they own, like, a dirt racing team of some sort? Like, a dirt bike racing team? Metal militia? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, they must have a... a a supplier? I, I don't know. Of I don't drugs, want to get yes. into drug talk. <laughs> Where I come from, you know, people like that get slapped. It's, it's true. <laughs> it comes from Stockton. That is, that is damn true. Uh, what we also got was a very humorous Nate Diaz. Let me stop com- com- missing the brothers here and getting them wrong. Nate Diaz, backstage, Phoenix, Sunday night, during an interview with Dana White by uh, Megan O'Leary, Mrs. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu herself. Who, by the way, we talked about this off off camera, off mic. I like what UFC is doing. They're changing their broadcast of, of of with ESPN just enough. They're using Megan Olivia a lot as a sideline reporter, putting her in the cage, putting her backstage, putting her all over. I'm down. It's just just a slight just a slight change. I like it. Okay. I mean, it did give us the new just bleed moment, so I'm I'm here oh, for that. Jake picking his nose behind her her back was amazing. Wow. Uh, so what breakdown? What happened here? Dana's getting interviewed. So Dana's getting interviewed. Nate sees him. They go to say hi to each other, and it's it looks very cordial. They're like, "Oh yeah." There's hugs and hand pounds, Yeah. And Megan, as he's walking away, says, "Nate, are we gonna see you fight again soon?" He's like, "Oh yeah, definitely. I'm on the way back." And then Megan <laughs> asks Dana, and she's like, "And Megan's like, hey, so Dana, so Nate's gonna come back soon, right?" He's like, "No." <laughs> It's like, what are you doing? How can two people not be on the same page oh ever? Oh, God. Well, to reiterate on the failure of ES- of UFC 230 last year at the Garden, right? When he was supposed to fight Dustin Poirier before Poirier got hurt. Wasn't the rumor, or maybe Dana confirmed himself, that someone within the UFC, high up, was like, Dana, why are we not putting on Nate fights? I'll take over the management of like matchmaking and promoting you know, Nate so you don't have to. And then, yeah, I, I saw Dana in an interview. This is right. And Dana was kind of ripping that unsaid employees, you know, without saying his name and was like, yeah, this guy thought it was going to be easy dealing with him. And now you're seeing what happens. So I feel like that was Dana's way of saying, all right, you get one chance. Let's try this. It's not Nate's fault that it fell apart, but Nate was also trying to pull a lot of Nate stuff ahead of that fight. Remember, he walked out of the press conference when the Connor Habib fight was announced. Man, we do this rant a lot. 
But why don't they realize what they have? I don't care how difficult he is to deal with. Why can't we see the Diaz's before they turn 40 and they're burnt out? I feel like they're trying still to make that Nate Diaz-Dustin Poirier fight happen. There's just probably a lot of negotiations going on in the background. I feel like Nate wants to be the main event for that, wants that fight to be a main event, and UFC just doesn't think it can be, perhaps. So They don't realize that he sells, that he moves. They don't want to respect that and give him that. Yeah, and that's always going to be the problem because Nate Nate's worth is more than UFC believes it to be, and that's always going to be the clash of heads. And maybe they get it done in time for 236 if they can, if they have no other fight to fall back on. By the way, I was going through some tweets last night and I stumbled across a, uh, uh, one of those banner ads that's the UFC was selling tickets for UFC 230 and the pictures of the people on the, on the card for that when they opened up tickets was, uh, Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier and Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold. Wow. Yeah. Remember when that was going to be the card? I would have loved, loved, loved that. Man, they could fix so many problems right now by just doing Dustin Nate. Come on, man. Even Nate doesn't even have to win that fight. He just has to look good and respectably lose it and still can be in the running for anything. It's the thing. Use these guys. Ah. All right, I'm not going to ruin this show just by complaining about a lack of Diaz, but we mentioned the Bellator tourney coming up. Bellator is also going to give us at 221. Creative matchmaking here. Champion versus champion. Is this Patricio Pitbull? Free air? Not yes. like we're ever going to get it right. Is going to move up in weight to challenge current lightweight champion Michael Chandler. This fight is going to bang. Chandler, of course, gave us that one-punch knockout of the year a few years back against the other Pitbull. Pitbull on Pitbull crime here. Uh Wise, this is cool. This is a great opportunity. Bader, the first champ champ in history. Pitbull, Patricky. Is Patrice, which one again? No, he knocked out Patricky. He's fighting Patricio now. All right, Patricky had that awesome mustache when he got sent down in that fight. Um, this is going to be a fun fight, man. Yeah, when we were talking about Aljo and Jimmy Rivera having their bad blood before, this is like intensified versions of that because these dudes do not like each other. I guess Patricio took offense to how Chandler celebrated after knocking out Patricky in that fight and the bad blood has just continued over and over on social media yeah those dudes don't like each other it it's not going to reach khabib connor levels of hate i don't i hope not anyway but that is going to be some hot fire in your face on may uh 11th because yeah michael chandler for as old as he is and as as veteran savvy as he is he's still got some pop in those hands oh yeah he's still fun he's he can still bang that's going to be a very violent fight get ready get ready all right Let's look ahead to this weekend. Very tame weekend as far as MMA is concerned. Is it Saturday? Yes, it is, right? From Prague, Czech Republic. Are you ready for this? Another soft UFC card from overseas. It is UFC fight night. My dates are correct. That is Saturday, right? Yeah, that's on Saturday. We're not sneaking another one uh, at us. This is an afternoon card, though. 2 p.m. Eastern start on the main card from Europe. Oh, boy. Um, I'm not moved, bro. I'm not moved by what, any what, of these fights, except what, for, what, except what, for one, except for one, obviously. But uh, tell me about this main event. Tell me why I should care, please. What's not to move you about John Blachowicz against Tiago Santos? Good God! I mean, I don't. I obviously don't hate Tiago Santos. He, he's he's you know 
Yeah, that's not a main event. That's not even a main event in Prague. That's not a main event in Jan Blachowicz's household. I mean, Stefan Struve against Marcos Rogerio de Lima in this co-main. No. John Volante on this card against a guy I can't pronounce. No. Liz Carmouche Gorilla. No. But, but, John Dodson, Peter Jan. Peter Jan is your boy, bro. Take the floor on this guy. I'm so excited. I told, I told our coworker Jack, I'm literally just going to turn this on when Peter Jan and John Dodson get in the ring and then I'm bailing as soon as that fight is over because Nothing else on this card is interesting, but Peter Jan is here to save us. He's going to make John Dodson into an interesting fighter in this somehow because that's all he does is make interesting fights. I'm very excited. Peter Jan should demolish John Dodson, but you never know with these kind of weird style matchups because if Dodson can keep this on the feet, maybe we see a different element to Jan's game or he gets exposed. So I think Jan ends up taking him down, though, and just destroying him, but... We'll see. This is a good test for Jan. I, I don't. I think there, there'll be some fight left here in, in Dodson. I like this because Jan gives you that poor, poor man Habib feel to him. And eleven and one, just. Uh, I mean, you kind of introduced me to him somewhat recently. I hadn't been woke, and man, this guy just just motors through people. It's going to be fun to watch him on this rive, rise. Oh uh, yeah, I'm done with Struve. Man, I'm done with Tiago Santos. <laughs> I'm Polo Reyes is on this undercard. That, that's. That's okay, I guess. Right. I can't, I can't, first of all, I can't believe John Volante is in a feature bout on a main card oh. after losing what, like three or four in a row? No, I don't, I don't. And Stefan Struve is a co-main event. No, I know, this is just... This. Like, what are we doing here? We're, well, we're not watching it, that's what we're doing, okay? You, you had the <laughs> Rustan Kabilov, he's on the, uh, he, well, he's okay, but yeah. Gesundheit. Yeah, well, this is a lot of hate on the show this week. I'm sorry that they made me do it. Uh, we get a Bellator card this weekend. Are you, you fired up after last weekend? We're going to get Bellator 217. It's going to take place this Saturday from Dublin. It's going to be one of those co-airs on the Paramount Network and in DAZN. And James Gallagher is back. Yeah, so is Conor McGregor teammate Charlie Ward, the middleweight who's also on this card. You will remember it was a Charlie Ward not the Heisman Trophy winner, not the New York Knicks point guard, Charlie Ward, Connor's buddy, who led Connor that time to jump over the cage wall in Bellator. Not tried to punch a security guard and then ended up pushing down Mark Goddard, right? Pushing him, getting yeah. in his face. Yeah, the referee. Because so, Goddard tried to get him off of him. Yeah. Um. Interesting. James Gallagher comes back. Stephen Graham, bantamweight bout, main event. Look, I, I, look, this guy's got swagger. I'm in on James Gallagher. You know, got, got sent to hell there, but. He seems to have bounced back mentally when you watch the, when you listen to the interviews. He's got a chance here. He's got a chance to make a little bit of a run. Tough time to be a prospect these days in Bellator, but they're putting him right back in the main event. This is that homecoming opportunity. This kid's got something, man. It's probably a good sign for him that they don't have a picture of Stephen Graham on Bellator.com. That's, that's gotta mean something good for him, right? Yeah. It, that means he's probably got a good chance to win. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, we're going to get some guests coming up in the near future. We're going to, we're going to roll back with that. A little bit of lull right now on the schedule before we start banging soon. What is it? Dude, next week, baby. 235. I got to stop going away for 10 days. 235 <laughs> is next week. What day is it today? It's the 18th. The fight's on March 2nd. Wow. Dude, we're in that weird stress for UFC where they have a card. 
for seven straight weeks. You know, February always gets me with the short month. You always forget that you're always a week away from from March happening. Okay, that's right around the corner. That card is going to bang, man. March 2nd, yes, yes. Yeah, we're going to have to do a full preview of that next week. Give me, give me the loot. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. All right, that'll wrap up another edition. Follow us on State of Combat on Twitter at BrandonY65 at your boy B Campbell CBS. Uh, Brando, any message out there for the for the fans, the listeners? Um, you know, your uh, anything? You got anything for me? We out.